Well, good morning. That was a little preview of what we're going to start next week. We're starting a new uh, series of messages next week. It's going to last through the whole month of April called Real Marriage. And uh, we'd love for you to come back for that. If you're here today and you would say to me, Cliff, I have the perfect marriage, then don't come. Just as, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, whoever you are, though, I do want to meet you after the service um, and really just find out what the secret is, because I think all of us uh, who are married, have been married, maybe looking to get married, uh, well, those of you looking to get married, if you've never been married, you probably do think that there is a perfect marriage and it's going to be yours, but you're wrong. Uh, all marriages, marriage is hard work, it's tough, and we're going to talk about that over the next four weeks starting next Sunday, so I want to invite you to be here, love for you to be here for that. Uh, we are, we're continuing and finishing up a, a series we started back at the beginning of March today called I Am, and, and what we're talking about for, for, this, uh, for this month is that it, when you look in the New Testament, that's the second part of the Bible. And when you look in the New Testament, <clears throat> there are several places in the Bible where Jesus is speaking and he begins a sentence by saying, I am. And so when we read that, we ought to really pay close attention because he's getting ready to tell us something about who he is. We've talked about those the last few weeks. We talked about when Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, and when he said, I'm the bread of life, and, and uh, when he said, I'm not of this world, and we've talked about all of those. And today, I'm going to read you the verse we're going to talk about. It comes from John 11:25, and Jesus said this, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And before we jump into that, I, let me just tell you how glad I am that all of you are here today. If, if you normally come here every week, I'm, I'm glad that you came back. Uh, if, if you're here for the first time, I'm really especially glad that you're here. And like Chris said a while ago, maybe, maybe you're here because someone offered you a free meal, or, or maybe you're here to make your mom or your grandma happy. You need to make your, your grandmama happy. Um, and, and if that's why you're here, I'm, I'm just glad that you're here, whatever the reason is. And, uh, and I, I want you to know that, that if you're here and, and you don't normally come to church and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian or really anything when it comes to religion, uh, we're going to talk about some stuff today that's going to be a little strange to you. And, and we're going to jump into that in, in just a minute because we're going to talk about resurrection. Now, resurrection is, is one of those words that, that you don't hear outside of church. Uh, just, just think about it. You don't ever, you, there, there's not, when, when you go to Greer Memorial Hospital, they don't have a resurrection wing over there. What, the, the guys that run Woods Mortuary, they don't train their people that work for them, here's what to do in case of a resurrection. And, and you never hear a story on the news of, we've got this great story today about a resurrection that happened in Cowpens or wherever it might be. You don't, resurrection is not talked about outside of church. It's not normal because we live in a world where dead means dead. And, and it, the, you, those of you, maybe you've had someone that you love very deeply and, and they got a, a, a terminal disease and they were, they were diagnosed with cancer. And, and through that whole period, <clears throat> you were praying for them and you were believing and, and hoping, you know, they're going to beat this thing and the doctors have some good treatment and we believe that this can happen. And you believe that all the way up until when? Until they died. And there's not a one of you in here that went to the funeral, and as you were driving to the funeral, were thinking to yourself, well, you know, maybe they'll come back to life now. Because dead means dead. Well, when Jesus made this I am statement, when he said, I am the resurrection and the life, I want you to understand that he made that statement 
in a, in a context, in a world just like ours where dead meant dead. And, and it, it happened in a, in a little place called Judea, which was outside of Jerusalem. And, and it happens in the middle of a story. And, and let me just kind of tell you the story of, of what's going on, of, of why Jesus uh, said this statement and when he said it. See, Jesus had this friend named Lazarus. And, and Lazarus had gotten some kind of disease or, or fever or something. We don't know what happened. But whatever happened, he died. And, and it, in fact, he might have had some type of disease that today we could take a Tylenol and, and get over and be fine with. But, but in those days, things that, that we can get over easily today, they would kill people. And so Lazarus died. He was a very close friend of Jesus. And so Jesus shows up at the house after Lazarus has died, and Lazarus has two sisters, Martha and Mary, and, and, and so people were, the, the scripture tells us that, that there was a big crowd of people there. That, so it was just like today if somebody dies, and, and so I guess people were, you know, were doing like they do today, and they had brought fried chicken from Bojangles and homemade deviled eggs and gallon milk jugs full of sweet tea, or, you know, they, and that's what they had done. And so there was this all cr- big crowd of people there to, to hang out and be with Martha and Mary and let them know how much they loved them and let them know how much they missed Lazarus. And they were all doing that together. They were all mourning together. And so in the middle of this crowd, Jesus shows up and, and, and Martha sees Jesus and, and it tells us that she goes out to meet him and, and she meets him kind of away from the crowd and, and she says to Jesus, Jesus, if you had been here, none of this would have happened. If you'd have been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died because, and, and in fact, later on in the story, uh, Martha's sister Mary said the exact same thing to Jesus. He, he runs into her as he's going to the tomb and Mary says the same thing Martha said, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. If you had been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. Because what, what you need to understand is this happened in a time where Jesus had already been going around and doing performing miracles. He had, he had already healed people from illnesses. He had healed people who had disabilities that couldn't walk or that couldn't see. And just by his touch or his word, he had, he had made that happen. And so Martha and Mary had sent word for Jesus. He was out of town when Lazarus got sick. And they had sent word for him and said, Lazarus is sick. And, and what they were expecting when they sent word is they were expecting a healing. They were expecting Jesus to drop what he was doing, get over there to Judea where they were, and heal Lazarus and that, so that he would not die from, from, his, from his illness. And, and in fact, they might not have even expected him to show up because there had already been a story that had happened where Jesus was walking along and a guy comes up to him and says, hey, my son, back home, he's not even here, but he's back home laying in the bed. He's sick. And Jesus said, when you go home, he's going to be well. And, the, and it happened. The, guy was, the kid was well when the, when the man got back home. And so Martha and Mary, when they sent word for Jesus, they were thinking, listen, we just want a healing. You can either come here, you can do one of those long-distance jobs like you did for that, that kid, whatever it takes, just heal Lazarus. That's what they were expecting. And instead, what did they have? Instead of a healed, healthy brother, they have a brother who's dead and buried and has been buried in the tomb for four days. And that's where Jesus shows up, and that's where he walks into this story. And so when, when Martha comes up to Jesus and she says to him, if you, hadn't hap- if, you hadn't, uh, uh, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Lazarus would, would still be alive. Jesus says something to her that's kind of funny. He says to her, your brother will rise again. And look what Martha says in John eleven twenty four. how she responds to Jesus saying, your brother will rise again. Martha says to him this, 
I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. See, Martha was a, was a good Jewish girl. She went to church like she was supposed to. She, she did all the things that a good Jewish woman was supposed to do. And one of the things that was taught by a lot of the teachers, by a lot, they called their, their pastors, they called them rabbis, by a lot of the rabbis is that they were teaching them is that one day when you die, you're going to be dead and buried. You're going to be in the grave and you're going to stay there in the grave until there's going to be a time in the last day, a last judgment. And when that last judgment comes, all the people who have died who were faithful Jews, they will rise from the dead and they will spend eternity in heaven with God. And so, so that's, that's what she was talking about. She said, yeah, Jesus, okay, cool. Yeah, right. You're telling me he will rise again. I know that. I'm a good Jewish lady. I understand he's going to rise again at the last day. And so she believed in, in a promise that she'd been given for something that was going to happen way into the future. And then it's during that, that, that after that, that Jesus makes this statement about being the resurrection. When he makes this statement, this is a, this is a game-changing, world-changing, religion-changing statement if he can back it up. Only if he can back it up. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he asks her a question. Do you believe this? And so what Jesus is saying to Martha is he's saying, listen, all this stuff you've been promised about resurrection, about that happening in the last day, I'm the one that makes that happen. All this stuff you've been promised about eternal life, I'm the one that gives you eternal life. And he says, he says to her, you, you, you've been promised resurrection, I am the resurrection. You've been promised eternal life, I'm the one that gives eternal life. And at that moment, what Jesus has done is so radical because now he has separated himself from all the other good teachers that were out there. There were a lot of people talking about resurrection. That was a common teaching that people would hear when they would go to church as a Jewish person. And there were a lot of people talking about that. But Jesus is saying to them, you've been hearing all these guys talk about it. I want you to know I'm not like them. I'm different because they're talking about it. I'm the one that's going to do it. They're just teachers. I am God. That's what he was telling her. And, and so this was, a, like I said, this was an amazing statement. But Without him doing something to back it up, it's just talk. People can say all kind of stuff. When I was in college, I, I had a friend of mine, and, and uh, I, he played golf, and he always talked about golf, and he played this course, and he played that course, and talked about all his clubs he had and how good he was, and he'd tell stories about hitting this shot and that shot. Well, I'd, at that time in my life, I'd played golf like three times. And by the way, since then, I've probably played golf like three times. But, but at that... so. He talked about, well, let's go play golf one day, man. Let's go play golf. I was like, shoot, man, let's go play golf, yeah. So me and him and two of our other buddies, we went, and we go to this cheap course, the cheapest one we could find in Charleston, and, uh, and we, we go and play golf, and, and we get on the first tee, and, and, uh, and I'm terrible. I knew I was terrible, but he gets up there, and he hits this shot that's an opening shot, and he tops the ball, and it just goes scooting down the fairway about 50 yards rolling on the ground, and I'm thinking, man, I'm not any better or worse than you, and you're the one always talking about it. And so as we continued to play, we played 18 holes that day. I think I played about 13, and then I gave up. But, but everybody else played 18. And, and as we played 18 holes, here's what I found out about him. He talks a lot about golf, 
He, he had some clubs and that kind of stuff, but he couldn't back up anything he was talking about. He was a lot better at throwing his clubs when he got mad. He was a lot better at cussing at his ball than hitting his ball. And, and that's what I found out about him that day. He was a lot of talk, but he couldn't back it up. When Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, he is what he's saying here. Think about it. This is a world just like ours where dead means dead. So when Jesus says this, either one of two things is true. Either he's crazy. Either he is three bricks shy of a full load, or he is exactly who he said he was. But the only way we would know if he's exactly who he said he was is if he does something to back up this statement. If he actually can raise Lazarus from the dead. You know, there's an old saying that says, uh, it ain't bragging if you can back it up. And so if Jesus really could do what he said he could do, then this would be a statement that would change the world. Well, the question is, could he? Well, look at, look at if you've got your Bibles, open to the book of John chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry, everything's going to be on the screen. John chapter 11 in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John. John chapter 11, starting with verse 38, and it says this, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. They buried people a little bit differently back then than we do. Take away the stone, he said. Now, what Martha says next shows us that she's still not really sure Jesus can do what he says he's going to do. Because her next statement isn't, you know, if she really believed, hey, Lazarus is going to come back from the dead, she wouldn't care about this next. But Martha was a woman who liked everything to be right and proper. And listen to what she says. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. She was thinking, Jesus, we're going to make everybody sick, because have you ever had, smelled something that died? It's going to be rough when you open it. And I don't know how many of you, how many of you grew up uh, where you, somebody one time when you were a kid gave you a King James version of the Bible. Did you ever have a King James version and where you read it and it sounds like Shakespeare? Most of, I, we, I teach out of the, the, a different version of the Bible because it's easier to understand, but there's some verses in the King James that are just better than this, and, and this is one of them because verse 39 in the King James, instead of saying, by this time there is a bad odor, the, in the King James, Martha says, Lord, surely he stinketh, which I think is awesome. He stinketh. That's what those of you that have brothers, you know, and you know what brothers will kind of do sometimes, you can just look at him and say, dude, you stinketh. That's what you can say to him when he drops one of those on you. Now you know what I'm talking about. So she was worried about the odor that was going to come out. And Jesus is, you know, Jesus is like, in a minute, you're going to forget about any kind of smell because I'm about to change the world here. And so look at what happens in John 11, 40 and 42. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And I think that's interesting that Jesus was, he was in communication with God about this thing the whole time, but he praised this out loud, not because he needed to say those words out loud to get the power, but because he wanted everyone around. There was, remember, there was a big old crowd of people there. He wanted all of them to understand this, what I'm about to do comes from, comes from God. The power of this comes from heaven, and I've got that power, and what I'm about to do comes from you, and I want them to know it. And then verse 43, when he had said this, 
Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Now, I've seen this, I don't know if they've shown this in the Bible thing that's on the History Channel yet. I've recorded that and I haven't watched all of it. And I don't know how they showed it, but I've seen this on TV. They'll show, you know, Lazarus coming out of the grave and he comes like walking out or he stands there in the, in the entrance to the tomb. But it says that he was wrapped up because what they would do when, when people would die, you know, now when people die, they like put you in a suit and a tie. And, you know, if, if I die today and y'all put me in a coffin, good night, don't put me in a suit and tie. But, but that's, what, that's what we do to people now is we dress them all up before we bury them. But in those days, they would wrap them up like a, like a mummy, really is what they were, wrap, you know, stuff around their face and everything. So it says that when he came out, it says that, now it says he came out of the tomb, but he says that when he came out, his hands and feet were wrapped. And it's, so this is what I'm thinking happened is that he had to hop out. You know, he's like coming out like this. They're like, what the heck's going on? Lazarus is hopping out of the grave. And so he's hopping out like this. And, and Jesus then says to him, he's like, he says, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Because that man was dead, but now he's alive. And what we need to understand is this, is that when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, that's a cool statement. But when Lazarus came hopping out of that grave, when he hopped out of the tomb, the statement that Jesus said when he said, I'm the resurrection and life, that became the most powerful, world-changing, religion-changing statement that had ever been made up to that point. Because Jesus had showed them, you said that, that I am one thing. You think that I'm a teacher like everyone else. I told you that I was more than that. I told you that I am the resurrection. I am the life. And now Lazarus was living, breathing proof that Jesus was exactly who he said he was. Living, breathing proof right there in front of their eyes. And, and what happened when, when this happened was that, that there was this group of people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were just basically religious leaders and none of them liked Jesus because they disagreed with pretty much everything he did. And what they were trying to do is they were trying to find something wrong with Jesus so that they could have him arrested, and they really wanted to have him killed. And the Scripture says that after Lazarus came out of the tomb, the, the Scripture says that, that those, those, those leaders, the, those, uh, those, those religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they really began to ramp up their plans. They began to get really serious about trying to have Jesus killed. Why? Why did they do that? Because now they could not discredit him anymore. Because what could they say? Hey, you know, Jesus, that guy that, that, you, uh, that you think is so cool and that heals all those people, he's really a fraud. He's doing all that kind of stuff, and, and it's not really real. It's some kind of trick that he's doing. And they would say that to people, and people would say, listen, man, you can tell me whatever you want. Here's what I know. My buddy Lazarus, he died. I went to his funeral. I saw him buried, and tomorrow I'm going fishing with him. My buddy Lazarus, I was at the funeral. I was there, and I'm having lunch with him tomorrow. So you can tell me whatever you want to tell me about Jesus not being true. I know that there was a man who was dead, and now he's alive, and I know it was because Jesus did something about it. And so all of a sudden, they could no longer discredit Jesus anymore. And it says that they, they got so serious about killing Jesus that look what happens. John 12, not only do they want to kill Jesus, look, what, look at John 12, 9 through 11. It says this. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, 
whom he had raised from the dead. So Lazarus was such a, a megastar. He was a superstar now. He was all over everything because he was dead and now he's alive. So what did the chief priest decide to do to him? Verse 10, so the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. See, a man that you knew was dead and now is alive, that's the most powerful proof that there ever could be that Jesus truly was the Son of God. And so what the Scripture tells us, what, what we read in the book of John and in the book of Luke and Matthew and in Mark, is that just a few days after this happened, the next week after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, we read that, that Jesus was arrested. Now keep in mind, he'd never committed a crime. Keep in mind also that, that, that what, what we read in the Bible tells us that not only had he never committed a crime, but he had never committed a sin. You know that, that thing that, that I did last month or last week or this morning or that, that you did last month or last week or this morning that, that you know is not right? Jesus never did any of that. And the Scripture tells us that, that after he was arrested, that, that they took him and they had him beaten. And they whipped him. And they spit on him. And they cursed him. And they put a crown of thorns on his head. And then they, they made him carry a cross up a hill after enduring all this beating. And then they nailed him to a cross. They drove spikes through his hands and through his feet. And they hung him up there naked and let him die. And all of that happened because they were trying to discredit who he really was. They were trying to deny the truth of who he really was. But, but just like what happened to Lazarus, after they buried him and they put him, in a, they put him in a tomb very similar to the one Lazarus was buried in, it tells us that, that they put him in a tomb and they put a stone in front of it just like Lazarus had a stone in front of, of his grave. And, but, but what was different than the, the tomb of Lazarus is that because Jesus was such a controversial figure, the government said, we're going to put guards in front of that tomb. We're going to put guards in front of that stone because we don't want anybody to come and steal his body and claim that he you know, rose from the dead or anything like that. So they put guards in front of of the tomb to make sure that that wouldn't happen. But even though the guards were there, we know that on Sunday morning, all day long on Saturday, his friends mourned his death. They didn't believe he was coming back. They believed dead was dead, just like dead is dead for us. But then on Sunday morning, we read where the stone was rolled away and that Jesus stood up and instead of hopping out of the tomb like Lazarus, he took off his grave clothes because we read where they were folded up neatly and placed where he was laying. And he walked out of the tomb just as alive as he had ever been. And that's where this whole movement started. That's why we have churches today. That's why we're gathered here. And then there's a church down the road, Washington Baptist is gathered there. And there's churches down this way, Appalachian and Springwell and Memorial Methodist and First Presbyterian and First Baptist Greer. That's why churches are meeting all over the world today to celebrate this one event because Jesus was dead and now he's alive. And why do we believe that? Why is it so powerful? What, what made, the, what made the, the story of Lazarus so powerful? What was it? It was eyewitness testimony. 
It was people who said, I knew a guy who was dead and now I see him and he's alive. And it's the exact same thing with Jesus. The story of Jesus is based on the same thing. It's based on eyewitness testimony of people who said, I was there when he was crucified and now I've seen him come back to life. Because maybe you're here today and you hear this story about about a, a crucifixion and a resurrection and it just sounds like to you, it sounds like something like just a myth or a legend. It's no different than the story of Harry Potter or Superman or, or Luke Skywalker or something like that. And it's just one more story in a bunch of stories you've heard. But what makes it different is that Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do, that he came back to life. And we've got the writings of guys like Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. Did you realize that those four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that they were all written within 40 years of Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, let me tell you something that happened 40 years ago. 1973, and I know two guys in here that are going to get excited just when I start talking about this. 1973, there was a team called the Miami Dolphins that went undefeated, the only football team in the history of the NFL that went undefeated. Now, let me tell you why I know that. Do I remember that? No, I was three years old. I don't remember it. But you know why I believe it happened? Because I've heard people on TV who were on that team, and they talk about it. I've read books. I've read stories on the Internet. I've read stories in the paper where they interview people who were on that team, who went to those games, who played in that Super Bowl. And I believe that it happened because I believe the eyewitness testimony of other people who saw it. It was just 40 years ago. It wasn't that long ago. And the same thing is true with what we read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You've got these guys who wrote these stories, and it just happened 40 years after it happened. And you've got somebody like Matthew who said, listen, I was, a, I was a Roman tax collector. I worked for the government. Nobody liked me, and Jesus came into my life, and I started following him, and I was there. I saw him crucified. And after I saw him crucified, it was a couple days later that he showed up among me and my friends, and we ate some fish on the beach that he cooked for us. And then he showed up again, and he was at this meeting that we were at, and he told us to touch his hands and to touch his feet. And then you got the testimony of somebody like John who said, I was there. I saw that he was crucified. In fact, while he was going through that, he looked at me and said, I want you to take care of my mother after I'm gone. And so I was there with Jesus' mother standing beside her, and I saw him die. And it was just a couple days later that he came back, and I got to hang out with him, and I got to talk to him again. And then you've got the testimony of somebody like Peter. And, and Peter, who, who was, who was such, a, such a wimp before Jesus died, that, that a little, it says that a little young girl, a middle school girl, accused him the night before Jesus was, was crucified and said, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? And he said, no, I don't have ever seen the guy. I don't even know him. And because of the resurrection, because I saw him dead, and now I know he's alive, Peter became a follower that was so strong that he led the new church. And then you got the testimony of a guy like James. James, who was Jesus' younger brother. Now, you thought it was hard growing up in the shadow of your older brother. Imagine if Jesus was your brother, and you show up at school the first day. Hey, we're expecting big things from you because you're Jesus' younger brother. He never missed anything on a test, ever. 
He knew all the answers. In fact, we started letting him teach before the school year was over. I'm sure you're going to be just as good as he. I mean, it was tough growing up in the shadow of Jesus. And that's what James had to grow up in. And did you know this? Did you know that when, when Jesus was out performing miracles and preaching and doing all those things, that James didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God? That when you read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we read that, that James and some of his other uh, uh, family members actually came to Jesus when he was teaching and tried to get him to stop teaching what he was teaching, and they tried to hinder his ministry. And so James, who didn't even believe that Jesus was the Son of God, but after, you know when he believed? After the resurrection. When he sat there and he saw his brother killed, and he mourned his death on Saturday, and then on Sunday, he saw him again and got to talk to him. And after that, James went from someone who didn't believe to a leader of the church who wrote a whole book of the Bible with his name on it called James that talks about following in the, in the steps of his brother, following in the footsteps of Jesus. How was it that a small offshoot brand of Judaism became the worldwide religion that it is today? Christianity is the largest religion in the world. How does that happen? The reason that happens is because one guy knew Jesus, saw him dead, and told somebody else about it. Another guy said, I got this friend of mine, Jesus. He was dead, and now he's alive. And then they wrote it down, and they passed it out, and they talked about it, and they shared the stories, and it got passed on from generation to generation. And here we are today, and we can read the eyewitness accounts in Matthew, in Mark, and Luke, and John, and we can bank on them to know that they're true because they've been passed down and they haven't been changed over the years. It's just as reliable as when I watch an ESPN report about the 1973 Miami Dolphins. In Luke 18, 31 through 33, Jesus said this before he died. Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. There were a lot of people crucified during the Roman Empire. Thousands of people were crucified by the Roman government. But only one guy said that it was going to happen, told his followers where it was going to happen, what they were going to do to him, and said that he was going to come back from the grave and then actually pull it off. The reason that statement is powerful is because Jesus backed it up. The reason it's powerful when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, is because he backed it up. So the question I have for you today is the same question that Jesus asked Mary, Martha, excuse me, when Martha comes to him and she says, if, you hadn't been, if you'd been here, Jesus, this wouldn't have happened. And Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm going to give you eternal life. And then he asked her, do you believe this? And so that's my question for you today. Do you believe that what we're talking about today is true? And if you don't believe, let me ask you this. What's keeping you from believing in the resurrection? What's keeping you from trusting that Jesus was exactly who he said he was? Is it because you, you read something in the Old Testament one time that you don't understand? Is it because Noah's Ark doesn't make sense to you? Is it because you 
were in a marriage and you really thought that it was going to work out and it, and it went into the tubes and now you're divorced and you're all alone? Is it because you lost your job this year? Is it because you declared bankruptcy a couple years ago and you're still trying to claw out of that? What's keeping you from believing that Jesus was exactly who he said he was? I want, you to, I want to challenge you to put all that stuff aside. Put aside your doubts about crossing of the Red Sea and Noah's Ark and creating in six days and resting on the seventh day and your doubts about what's happened in your life. And I want you just to go back to what Jesus said. He said, I'm the resurrection, I'm the life, and I can give you eternal life. And then he went out and he did it. He backed it up. Start there. Start with that. If you start with that, all this other stuff that you, that you have a struggle with will begin to come into focus and will begin to fall into place. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. He's promised you and he's promised me that he can give us eternal life. But what we have to do is we have to believe. We have to believe the cross was real. We have to believe the resurrection was real. And we have to admit that we've messed up our life. There are some of you here today that if you're honest, you would raise your hand and say, Cliff, that's easy for me to admit. I know I've messed up my life. And I'm right there with you. If it was up to me, I would be a total and complete mess and a failure. But it's because of what Christ has done in my life that I'm able to stand up here in front of you, that I'm able to hold a job, that I'm able to keep a marriage together, that I'm able to raise kids. And all of that's because of what Jesus has done for me. And his statement when he said, I'm the resurrection and the life, can change your eternity. But you've, the next step is up to you. You have to trust that and you have to believe that, that the resurrection is real. So this is what I want us to do. I'm going to pray. And um, if you're here today and, and you're one of those folks that we talked about at the beginning that, that you just came to make somebody happier to get a free lunch, when we're done, in just a minute, uh, if you've got questions about what we talked about, I want you to, to ask the person that invited you today. They invited you here. They, they want you to hear this, this message. Ask them, what was that dude talking about? Do you believe that? Is that real? Talk to them about it. Have a discussion with them. And then if, if they don't give you a straight answer or an answer you want, which they will, but if for some reason you got more questions, then, then talk to me. I'm easy to get in touch with. Come down here and down front. Grab one of these folks that you see walking around that looks like they know what they're doing. Ask them about it. But I'm going to pray for us, and as I pray, I want to pray that you would, for the first time ever, believe that the resurrection is real, and that you'd go out this week and live like it. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for the stories that we read in the Bible. I thank you that they were written down by men that we can trust. And they've been passed down through the years. And, and as we read them today, they're just as powerful today as they were the first time they were told. And God, I pray for everybody in this place, especially those who, who are here for the first time, and if they need to believe in the resurrection, 
that you would give them that ability, that you would work in their heart, that you would do away with their doubts and you would just let them focus on who you are. Father, for those who are here today that say they believe that, that that when they hear about the resurrection, they get excited. When we sing songs about it, they get chill bumps and they get tears in their eyes. I pray that they would live this week in the power of the resurrection. Thank you that you're real, that you're alive, and that you are still changing lives today. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.